Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. All right, well, today is uh, a good, good day, right? I mean, this is an exciting day. Uh, the Cowboys are playing. And they're playing some weak loser team. Uh, <laughs> hey, this is going to be, this is going to be, it's an exciting day. I mean, it really is. And, and uh, you know, I got my little cowboy sticker here and uh, we know God roots for the cowboy. We have number 11 on our team, Micah Parsons, 11 from heaven. I mean, we are ready to go. We're ready to roll. Good luck on the game. Uh, uh, it'll be fun. It's always fun to be able to have this uh, rivalry that's kind of, you know, happening again. For, so for those of us who care, the rest of you are like, let's go, let's get on with it. Because you're right. It's a good day. It's not because of the game. It's a good day because God's going to move and God's going to act and God's going to speak. So let's pray and then we'll dive in together. Heavenly Father, we know today is a good day because you are a good, good God. And we know you want to move in us, God. You want to stir us. God, you want to lead us in the direction you have for us. So God, I pray you'd speak powerfully this morning to each and every heart. Stir us to the good work that you have for each one of us. And I ask for this and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you have been uniquely created by God. God created you special, and he created you for his purposes. And he created you in such a way to do something, to do something that matters, to do something that's eternal, to do something that lasts, that even lasts beyond yourselves. And over the next couple of weeks, I believe that God wants to speak directly to every single one of us, that his Holy Spirit wants to stir in you and speak in you to you and give you the faith to take the steps that he is calling you to take. And in this series, we are going to be looking at an individual. His name is Nehemiah. He's in the Old Testament. And this Nehemiah, his heart was grabbed. His heart was broken. And he saw something and he decided, I need to do something. I need to act. And and he, he didn't know it at the time. But his decision, his choice to move and to act would literally change the trajectory of his people in the present and in, the fu- and in their future. This series we're in is best summarized in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse four, 18, excuse me, which simply says this. So they began this good work. Somebody say good work. Good work. They began the good work. In fact, we have been called by God, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, we've been created by in Christ Jesus to do good works. And I'm praying that Nehemiah's story that we're going to be in over the next couple of weeks, I'm praying that it will inspire you to your good work. You see, God has a good work for you to do in 2022. And God's going to move and God's going to speak, and we're going to see what it is God's called you to do in 2022. Now, here's what I love about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not a pastor. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's not even a warrior. Nehemiah is just an ordinary person who's an ordinary person whose heart was grabbed. Something crushed his spirit to the point that he was compelled to step in and to step up and to try to act and to try to make a difference. Now, What was this ordinary guy? What was his ordinary life? Nehemiah was a Jewish cupbearer to a Persian king named Artaxerxes. 
Now, what in the world is a cupbearer? In simple terms, a cupbearer was just a household servant of a king. And when you were a household servant of a king, it meant that you had to be somebody who was trustworthy. Now, why? It's because you had unlimited access to the king. I mean, you heard everything that the, her, that the king was a part of. You heard every private conversation. So you had to be trustworthy. You had to be full of integrity. You could bury the king or anyone else, for that matter, because of the news and the information that you had. So we know Nehemiah was trustworthy. But there was also this great sense of loyalty that Nehemiah had because his job included uh, being a taster for the king. That's that idea of cup bearer. See, one of the most common ways that you would try to take out a king or somebody in authority would be to assassinate him. And the way you would try to assassinate him was to try to poison their drink. So Nehemiah as a cupbearer, his responsibility was to taste all the wine before the king. And if Nehemiah didn't die, then the king could go ahead and drink it. And I'm just thinking to myself, can you imagine the job posting for that job? And you're like, hey, I'm looking for a job and it says immediate opening, cupbearer for the king. Though each drink could be your last, enjoy palace living with excellent benefits. And I'm looking at that going, man, how often does that get posted? So Nehemiah, he's an ordinary person. He's serving the needs of the king. And one day, Nehemiah has this conversation, and it moves him in a way that he's never been moved before. Here's how the story goes. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1 and in Nehemiah chapter 2. And it says this, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 2, it says, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So that verse has a lot in it. Let me unpack it a little bit, give you the context of where we're at in this story. The reason Nehemiah is asking about this, because about 70 years prior to this moment in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2, 70 years prior, the, the, uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, in 586 BC, marched into Israel, marched into Jerusalem, and ransacked the city and destroyed the city. He destroyed this capital city of Jerusalem. He destroyed the, the, the temple, Solomon's temple. He destroyed the city gates. He destroyed the city walls. And he just completely ransacked the city and the entire country. After that, Nehemiah took all the Jewish people captive and took them back to Babylon where they lived for the next batch of decades, the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Now, Decades after that, under the leadership of Ezra the priest, about 50,000 Jewish people returned back to the land of Israel in the hopes that they could rebuild, in the hopes that they could establish you know, a nation again, a, a country again. The problem was they couldn't get things rolling. There was no progress those who had returned uh, were completely demoralized. They were demoralized by what they saw, what existed, and they just couldn't rally the troops to get the people to do something and to move forward and progress. So there's 50,000 people were living in this sense of hopelessness. So this brother says to Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, those who survived that exile, the exile of, of Nebuchadnezzar, 
and are back in the province, they are in great trouble and disgrace. Why? Because the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. In other words, with no walls, with no gates, there's no protection from the outside forces that keep attacking. So think about this. There's no jobs. There's no economic, you know, recovery taking place. There's no leadership. There's no direction. There's no confidence. And with no protection and no leadership and no plan, there's no hope for the people. And so imagine you're Nehemiah. What do you do when you hear this? When you hear about your people, it breaks, your, it breaks Nehemiah's heart. And he knows there's a good work that needs to be done. And all of a sudden, he thinks to himself, maybe I'm a part of this good work. Maybe this is something that God has for me. What do you do when something bothers you down deep and you're troubled by it and you can't take it anymore? Because that's what's happening to Nehemiah. So what do you do? How do you begin a good work? Remember, we read Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18. They began a good work. How do you begin a good work when you realize something must be done? Now, the first thing that we see Nehemiah do, and this may end up hap- be what happens in your life as well. How do you begin a good work? Well, first of all, you sit down and you have a good cry. You sit down and have a good cry. You sit down and you let whatever it is, you allow it to move you. You allow it to break your heart. You see this in Nehemiah chapter one, verse four. It says this, when I heard these things, in other words, when I heard about the devastation, when I heard about the hopelessness of my people who have returned, when I heard about the city and the walls and the temple, I sat down and I wept. In other words, Nehemiah is saying that it crushed me. It broke my heart. Now, what's interesting to think about is where Nehemiah is. Nehemiah is about a thousand miles away from Israel when he hears this news. He's actually living a pretty good life. He's living a comfortable life in the palace. Think about it. He gets to eat what the king gets to eat. He gets to watch the same TV shows that the king gets to watch. I mean, he's sitting there, he's posting his selfies, hey, just serving the king, you know, hashtag blessed to serve. I mean, he's just living the life, totally comfortable, other than the wine tasting, of course, but he's living a good life. You know, I think that's true for a lot of us. We're living a pretty comfortable life for the most part, aren't we? I mean, you might hear information or news from time to time, and you hear some examples of people who, man, maybe their life isn't as good or as comfortable. Maybe somebody's struggling or going through something or something needs to be fixed or, or move forward or advance. But I mean, come on, it doesn't really impact your life. I mean, for the most part, it's out of sight, out of mind. Nehemiah is a thousand miles away. And at that moment, Nehemiah, he's heard this and he has a choice. He could dismiss the plight of his people. He could be like, oh man, it sucks to be them. Oh, that's a shame. Man, I'm sorry they're going through that. I'm glad my life's okay. God, thank you. Praise God for my life. Or he could choose to let it in. Not just in his head, 
hearing the information, but in his heart, he could choose to allow some pain to come in to the point where it moved him, where it caused him to ache, where it stirred him, where there's this aching in his soul. For Nehemiah, we read, he literally cried over the news. And you and I, we all have a choice. We can dismiss it. We can push it away. We can get defensive. We can make excuses. Ah, well, you know, it's, it's their fault. Or, hey, well, if they had done this, if they didn't realize that those people, you know, 70 years ago, if they had, you know, followed God better. And they, they, we can make the excuses. We can push it away or we can let it in. When Nehemiah heard the news, he didn't brush it off, which is easy to do. Instead, he sat down and he broke down and he wept. The news grabbed him. It moved him. And I want to ask you a question. What breaks your heart? What moves you? What stirs you? Maybe there's something that inside of you there's this, that creates this righteous anger, this holy discontent. You look at something and say, man, that's not right. Something must be done. Somebody has to do something about that. And I don't know what that is for you. Man, maybe for you, you look at kids who are hurting or abused or neglected and you say, somebody has to do something about that. You look at people who are bound by addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever the case may be, and you think, man, somebody has to step up and step into that. We showed you the video, the gift of groceries, and some of you, you're moved. You're like, man, this is simple. I can do something about this. I can move. I can act. I can be involved. Because people say there's an entire church, there's a ministry, because people said somebody needs to do something about the, you know, the, the, the food um, scarcity that exists for certain people. Some of you, you look at what's happening to our kids today in the school system and, and, and with, the, with the changing curriculum that keeps coming our way and, and the, a lot of that curriculum that's coming our way, it's, you would look and say, man, this isn't in line with the heart of God. And some of you say, somebody's got to do something about this. Or you say, man, somebody's got to speak out on behalf of the unborn and step up and speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Or, or maybe some of you, you look at the church and you say, man, more people need to be discipled in Christ. And you're an older man or an older woman, you think somebody needs to mentor the younger men, the younger women. Or you look at our kids and you think, man, somebody needs to be involved in, in participating in their lives and helping them grow in the Lord. Or you look at our students and all they're going through today and say, somebody needs to be involved. What is it for you that grabs you, that breaks your heart, what is it that burdens your soul that something needs to be done? This week I was reading about Theodor Herzl. Theodor Herzl is known as the father of modern Zionism. Now, Theodor Herzl was an ordinary dude. How ordinary? He was a, he was a screenwriter and he was a, he was a journalist, like a reporter. That's, I mean, that, he was just as ordinary as anybody gets. He was a Jewish person. Now, uh, Herzl was reporting on the Dreyfus Affair. Maybe you've heard of that if you're into history and all that. But in 1894, Alfred Dreyfus, who was a lieutenant colonel in the French army, he was put on trial for spying or for espionage. And, and the evidence was overwhelming that he wasn't guilty. 
But what was happening was is anti-Semitism had been, been, been just rising up more and more and more in Europe in those decades leading up to the end of the 18th century or the 19th century. And, and so Herzl was there in France and he's reporting on this and, and, and he's out in the streets and there's riots happening and, 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 and people are protesting and all he hears people shouting is death to the Jew, death to the Jew. And he's this, just, he's an ordinary guy, he's a reporter. And he's thinking to himself, how is it that this lieutenant colonel is just so hated? How's that possible? What is this? And he realized it was for one reason. He was a Jew. It was the only reason. The anti-Semitism that had been rising up, he all of a sudden saw it. And it broke his heart. And Theodor Herzl literally wept there in the streets. And he wept over this and he realized the plight of his people. And he decided right then and there, he realized the only way for his Jewish people to have a chance to escape the persecution that had been getting worse and worse, the only chance for them was to have a homeland of their own. Now let's go back to the year 1900. There was no land of Israel. The Jewish people didn't have their land. They had been kicked out of Israel back in 70 AD under Titus Vespasian and, and, and had been scattered around the world for 1900 years. But Theodor Herzl thought, we need our own homeland. And so he, in that moment, decided, I'm gonna devote the rest of my life to inspire Jewish people to return to the land of Judea, the land of Israel. He started the annual Zionist Congress to help with this plight. And he started it in Basel, Switzerland. And in his diary, he wrote this. He wrote, at Basel, I founded the Jewish state. But if I said it out loud today, I would have been answered by universal laughter. Because again, the thought of there being a Jewish state was absurd. He said, perhaps five years from now, certainly in 50 years, everyone will know it. Ironically, almost 50 years to the date that he founded the Zionist Congress, the state of Israel was actually founded. What happened? That, how was that possible? Well, Herzl saw something that moved him, that grabbed him. He saw the gross misconduct of his people across the world, and it led him to tears. It broke his heart, and his good work ended up changing not just the Jewish people, but transforming the world. What breaks your heart? What moves you? What is it inside of you that begins to stir? And, and if that something begins to stir inside of you like Herzl and like Nehemiah, go ahead and sit down and cry, ache over it. I'll tell you what. I would much rather have my heart be tender and be broken over the things that break the heart of God than to be numb about everything and everybody. And I hope that's true of you as well. What do you do when you can't take it anymore? How do you begin your good work? You sit down and you have a good cry. You ache over it. You feel the pain. You feel the burden. And then next, how do you begin the good work after that? Then you kneel down and pray. 
Nehemiah chapter one, verse four, it says, for some days I prayed and I fasted, or I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Listen, if it's enough to cry about, then it's definitely enough to pray about. And you and I have a good God, a powerful God who moves and who acts. And Nehemiah sits down and he delivers this prayer. He gives this prayer to God. In verse five, he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, And then he goes on, he says, this God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Then he says this, God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And if you read the rest of Nehemiah's prayer, you see he confesses his sin. He confesses the sin of his people. He reminds God, God, you are a faithful God. He reminds God, hey God, that you have promises you have made to us. Remember, you told us we get to go back to the land of Israel. And and I'm calling you on that, God. He's reminding God that God is faithful. He's praying and he's praying. And it says there, praise day and night. Verse 11, here's his petition to God. Here's what he asked for. God, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Artaxerxes, the man he works for. Nehemiah, he doesn't hold back. He lays it all on the line with God. He says, God, here's what I'm asking for. God, I'm coming before you. Here's what I'm asking for you to do. Here's how I'm asking you to move and how I'm asking you to act. I'm a nobody, but I need to go before a somebody. And God, I need your help. Do you realize that what it is that you pray about reveals what you believe about God? Look at your prayer list. That tells you what you believe about God. Man, if all of our, if your prayers, if all it is is, you know, God bless this food. God, give me a great day. God bless me today. Man, you don't believe in a good, powerful God. But when you're praying, God, God, I need a miracle. God, I need you to move. God, bring healing. God, would you spark revival? God, use me. God, stretch me to help others. When you're praying that, you are praying going before a God that you know moves and is powerful and moves and he acts. And listen, God wants to move and God wants to act on your behalf. And what's interesting is this prayer we have is the first of 12 prayers that are recorded which means, uh, that's what's recorded. It means that Nehemiah is somebody who prayed thousands and thousands of times before God. He believed that God moves and God acts and he believed in the power of prayer. And what we're gonna discover, Nehemiah, this ordinary Nehemiah, we're gonna discover he has the gift of leadership. And we're gonna see that he studies and he strategizes and he creates vision and he, he delegates. He turns out, Nehemiah ends up being a leadership genius. And yet everything Nehemiah does is centered around faith-filled prayers, believing that God's the one who moves and acts. See, no matter, how, no matter how gifted you are, no matter how talented you are, a man or woman of faith knows it all comes from God. Your gifts, your abilities, your talents, my gifts, my abilities, and my talents, he's the source of it all. It's not us, it's him. And then a man or woman of faith in humility bows before God and starts everything. Everything is centered in our life around faith 
and prayer, going before God, knowing it's God is the one who is going to go before us and lifting, and we lift up faith-filled prayers to Almighty God. What are you praying about? What's on your prayer list? What are you not praying about? What isn't on the list? Your prayer list is a clear indication of what you believe about God. So how do you begin the good work when you can't take it anymore? Man, you let your heart be moved. You allow your heart to, be, to ache and you sit down and you ache over it, you cry over it. Then at some point you kneel down and you pray about it. You pour out your heart in prayer to a mighty God. And then once your heart's been broken and you've sought the goodness of God, how do you begin the good work? Then you stand up and you act. You stand up and you act. Nehemiah, he takes his cup, you know, to the king. And he goes to see the king, and his heart is heavy, and the king can tell. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, the king said to me, what is it that you want? What, I can tell, Nehemiah, something's going on in your life right now. You don't look the same. You don't look normal. You don't look like your chipper self. What's going on? What do you want? And what does Nehemiah do in that moment? The same thing he's been doing. It says in verse 4, then I prayed to the God of heaven. He's asked a question, and he still prays. He believes that God is his source. He prays to heaven, and then he said, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried. Why? So I can rebuild the wall. And king, my, my people, they're hurting. They're helpless and they're hopeless and they have no vision, they have no leadership, they have no direction. The gates are torn down, the walls are torn down, the city is exposed. King, I can't sit here any longer and not do something about it. I'm willing to step up and step in and to act. I'm not just gonna gripe about it, I'm not just gonna complain about it, I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines over it. I'm willing to do something. Man, do you realize that every single time here at LifePoint, something has come up, there have been people who said, we're gonna do something about it. We're gonna move and we're gonna act. I was thinking about that this week, just a little bit, just kind of thinking over the years of some of the things that people at LifePoint says, I'm willing to move and I'm willing to act. And we said, hey, we're gonna go to Mexico and we're gonna build homes in Mexico. And people at LifePoint stepped up and said, I can do that. We're going to build churches in Mexico. I can do that. Hey, we want to plant a church in Pasadena. There hasn't been a new church in Pasadena for decades. And we say, I can do that. And LifePoint stepped up and we planted and we raised funds to support Jeff Snodgrass and the church there, which is doing incredible, by the way, in the city of Pasadena. And we hear about New Hope, our partner up in Pocket Meadowview area, doing, leading the way with the gift of groceries, a small little church, a handful of people. And we've partnered with them. And they needed to fix their parking lot. They were desperate for it because of the weight of, the, of, uh, you know, of, of all the food that comes and all that happens there. And their parking lot was a mess and it was dangerous. And we came before you and said, we're going to give our offering away. And you gave over $30,000 that Sunday and we gave that to the church so that they could build that parking lot. And then I was thinking about that time when there were the fires in paradise. You remember those a few years back? 
And Pastor Stan is one of our, it's one of our Christian churches. And, and we reached out to Pastor Stan and man, their church was destroyed. I, I went up there myself and, and saw and met with him, spoke with him. We said, we need to do something. And again, we took a Sunday offering and we just said, God will take care of us. And you stepped up and gave, I think it was over $40,000 so we could help Pastor Stan minister to his church in a tragic time. I think about David and Christy Pepsney who said, man, we have gifts, we have abilities, and we have skills, and, and, and we have a part, we have friends that we know at Tenwick Hospital in Nairobi, Kenya, and, and man, we can get involved in that, and we can upend our life and go be a part of it and do something. And they said, we're gonna do that. And we as a church said, you know what? We wanna back you. And, and we have our missions budget and we wanna support you significantly. They are, I, I could spend the rest of the morning just talking about the work that God is using and doing through David and Christy. And it's powerful. And it's, we're able to participate because you said we can do something about it. Again, we showed the video, groceries can be picked up every day. And a bunch of you said, I can do something about it. Shoes need to be given to those who are less fortunate. And so we've had our shoe drives here in Elk Grove. And you said, I can do something about it. The homeless need a place to stay in the wintertime. And we haven't had it for the last couple of years because of, of, um, of COVID, but we're opening that back up again. And a lot of the people who ran that ministry for our church, they literally moved out of the area. They, they are living in other states now. And we're coming here before you say, hey, we're gonna do that again. And some of you are gonna step up and say, I can do that. I can do something about that. I can be involved. I can help out. I can serve for an evening. I can stay overnight. People who have been displaced to Sacramento from other countries, they come and they have nothing and they need little simple things, tangible things like backpacks and school supplies for the kids. And you as a church step up and step in and say, we can do something about it every single time. I can go on and on and on. And you say, I can do that. I can do that. There's a need there's a weight, there's a burden that needs to be fulfilled and your heart is moved and you step up and say, I can do that. Listen, I know there's somebody who's listening right now. God is stirring you. Something is moving inside of you and it's disturbing your spirit and you know something needs to be done. Maybe you've tried to keep it at a distance. Maybe you've told yourself, I'm too busy. Maybe you've said, I can't really make a difference. Let somebody else do it. I've been there. I've done that. I understand it. I get it. I do. You don't have to do everything, but you can do something. You don't have to do everything, but you can do something. Well, pastor, you don't understand that, whatever that is. That, that's not my thing. Listen, it may not be your thing, but it may be God's thing for you. It may be exactly what God has for you and he's stirring in you and you sense that and you feel that even right now. So let it in. Let it move you. Let it wreck you. Let the burden overwhelm you. Ache over it. And then kneel down and pray about it and ask the God of heaven, the mighty God, to move and to act and then stand up and do something. Some of you, you think, you know what? I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly gifted. I'm not particularly trained. I don't have a lot of experience. I don't know if I can really do this. I can tell you this. 
You don't have to be appointed by me or somebody else if you're called by God. If God has something for you, he will empower you to do it. So what is it? Yeah, but Pastor, you know, I can't do it alone. Nehemiah didn't either. But it didn't happen until Nehemiah said yes. You may not be doing something alone, but whatever it is God's stirring in you, that's not going to happen until you step into it. So what does God have for you? What is he doing in you? How is he stirring you? I would rather be moved. I would rather be stirred. I'd rather be broken by the things that break the heart of God than to not give a rip and not care and not do anything. God has a good work for you in 2022. What is that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would speak to us right now. God, I just pray right now that you would stir in us the good work you're calling us to do. God, I pray that you would stir in us this, this, this availability that we say, I am available. God, you would help us let the hurt, let the ache, let the pain in. God, break our heart for the things that break your heart. Right where you're at, what is it that God's doing in you? Would you let it in? Say, God, I, I hear you. I hear you speaking to me. God, don't let this pass from me. Don't let this moment pass from me. I trust you. And I want to lean into this, God. Give me the strength and the faith to do what you've called me to do. In Jesus' name, God, would you hear each and every one of these prayers and would you be glorified by the good work that you're gonna do through each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us for our next episode.